All right, Colossians chapter 3. I want to welcome everybody here this morning to our continuing study of Colossians. And if you don't know this about Grace Community Church, your first time visiting, we are committed to what we call expositional preaching of Scripture. And the meat and potatoes of what you'll see at Grace Community Church week in and week out is we will work through books of the Bible uh, systematically. Pick up where we leave off until we work through the whole thing beginning to end. That's probably 95% of what, what, what you'll see on Sunday mornings at Grace Community Church. And today we have made our way to chapter 3 of Colossians. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn there. And we are about to spend a moment and we're about to bow the knee and we are about to pray and call out to our God because we want to hear from God today. We want the Lord to speak to us. We want him to address us all across this room. And so let's let's pray together. Father, we come to you this morning and we come, Lord, in Jesus's name. God, we take our stand and we take our boast in your presence, in the name of the Savior. And so we come today as Grace Community Church, Lord. We come as your people, called by your name. And Lord, we, you have given us, of, of your own power, of your own grace, you have given us a tremendous desire to glorify you in this world. And Lord, we tell you that we want to please you, God. We want our lives to be ordered in such a way that gives you pleasure And that gives you glory. God, there are things in our life that are off and wrong that we don't even know about. That we need you to expose them graciously by your word. God, we need to be admonished by you. We need to be instructed by you. Lord, we're in desperate need of you. And so we ask you to draw near to us, Lord, today as we gather together in the name of Jesus. And that you would fill this time with power, with spiritual power. God, that you would make your words effective in your church. God, that you would cause them to land on us, Lord, to edify us, to produce fruit in us. And God, specifically today, Lord, I ask you to to remind us of of glorious truths about the life that you have called us into, the life of following Christ. Lord, lay these reminders on us today and wake us up. To everything that we need to hear. This is our prayer this morning. In Jesus' name. Amen. Alright. We'll begin our time today. We'll read our passage together. And we say this almost every week. That this is the most important thing that you'll hear in the next hour. These are words from God without error. This is hot breath from the Holy Spirit that's about to blast all through this room. This is the Word of God. So let's read it together. Colossians chapter 3, beginning in verse 14. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. To which indeed you are called in one body. And be thankful. This is the word of God to Grace Community Church this morning. 
And so we and so we bow the knee and we ask God to meet with us this morning. And so our desire is that God would address us personally all across this room from this text. This is his word to this church today. Today. It's profitable. Okay. Today we're going to be reminded about the main things in the Christian life. Okay. And then the other side of that is the importance of keeping the main things, the main thing in the Christian life. And I know that's a lot of repetition, but I can't think of any better way to say it than we have to keep the main things, the main thing. And we're going to get a heavy dose of this in these two verses. Now, if you've been sitting through this teaching through Colossians, you've noticed that we have slowed down dramatically in Colossians chapter 3. I mean, some of you notice that. You're like, we're crawling through this thing like a snail's pace. Okay? And I, I at least you know, want you to, to comfort you. Maybe it's not a comfort. But I'll try to comfort you in one way that that's been intentional. That me and Ron have intentionally put the brakes on and we have slowed down intentionally in Colossians chapter 3. And I want to tell you why for just a few minutes. That... More than anywhere else in Colossians, this is where the letter gets extremely practical. This is where the exhortations and, and the imperatives in Colossians, they begin to pop off and to explode. And so you're running into them all over the place in Colossians chapter 3. And we don't want to miss that stuff. Okay, So this is where all that beautiful, glorious doctrine about this exalted Christ the Lord of the cosmos, the supreme over all things. This is where all that beautiful, exalted doctrine begins to play out in our practical, everyday life. And so this is where we take all that high theology and we live it out in a real zip code in this world. This is, you could say it like this, this is where the rubber meets the road. And so we want to pause and we want to linger and we don't want to move Past these things until we hear rightly from the Lord. We want to respond to this letter well. We want to read it well. We, don't, we want to understand it. But we want to respond to it. And so this is why we're crawling through Colossians 3 like a snail's face. We want to hear from the Lord Jesus. And as we said many times as we've come through Colossians. That the reason that the Apostle Paul puts the pen to paper is he wants to secure the supremacy of Christ in the lives of the readers and the hearers of this letter. And I want us to remember that, that it goes past you knowing that Jesus is Lord of everything. That stuff doesn't matter unless he's reigning in your life, unless he is the supreme in your life, reigning over your mind, your thoughts, your affections and your relationships. To one another. And so Colossians 3 gives us a vivid sketch of the supremacy of Christ in the Christian life. So I want to remind you just a few things that we've been learning in the past week. We've learned that when Jesus reigns over a disciple, when he reigns over a man or a woman, a boy or a girl, one thing that you're going to see is you're going to see him lay sin in a coffin. You're going to see him. Put to death those things that are earthly in them. You're going to see them make war and kill indwelling sin. 
And so we spent a good, good amount of time on that as we eased into Colossians chapter 3. And then the other side of that is also true. That when the Lord Jesus reigns over a man or a woman, they're not just going to stop doing bad stuff. They're going to put on good stuff. And Colossians chapter 3 starts sketching out these Christ-like virtues that we're supposed to be wearing like clothes. Okay? And I, and I say that because that's helpful. Like this is public stuff that is supposed to be happening in our life. And we're supposed to be putting on the character of Jesus Christ. Things like compassion. Saw this last week. Things like um, compassion and kindness and forbearance and humility. And we're supposed to put on this stuff and walk around in this world clothed in these virtues. And other people are supposed to be able to see them. That's the point of the clothing metaphor, right? I mean, you think of a husband, uh, Charlie, you know, he's wearing a white shirt today and he looks at Victoria this morning. He says, no, my shirt's blue. I'm wearing a blue shirt. I'm wearing a blue shirt. And she's like, no, you're wearing a white shirt. Like I can see what you're wearing. Sometimes we can be deceived that Christian growth is this private thing between you and Jesus. And, oh, I'm, I'm growing in compassion. Oh, I'm growing in kindness. Oh, I'm growing in forbearance. And everybody else around you is saying, no, he ain't. No, he's not growing in compassion and forbearance and kindness. And so this is, this is the clothing metaphor that we're supposed to be putting on these things. Public virtues and it's, and it, and it's pieces of the character of Jesus Christ. The character of Jesus Christ. And we're jumping in right where we left off last week. So you have these clothing metaphors. Put this on. Put this on. Put this on. And you come to these words in our text today. Above all these, we are instructed to put on love. So we're continuing where we left off. And before we jump in and begin to unpack uh, what love is. I want you to think about how helpful phrases like this are in God's word. Do this, do this, do this, do this, do this, do this. Above all, do this. Okay? Those are are phrases that serve us, that give attention to this, give attention to this, give attention to this. But more than anything, give attention to this. Don't leave, whatever you do, don't leave this undone. And so we're being served this morning... With this phrase, okay? And I don't know if you're like me, but every once in a while as you read through the scriptures, you'll see a phrase like this, a summarizing phrase that jumps out at you and it grabs your attention. Like, man, I don't want to waste my life. Man, I want to please the Lord Jesus in everything I do. So when I read things like above all this, it helps to simplify my life. Like it helps to gather that other stuff under these uh, banners of... Go after these things more than anything else. And so that phrase is serving us this morning by simplifying the Christian life. Okay? Simplifying the Christian life. So our goal today is as you walk out of the room, I want everybody to walk out of the room today being reminded by the Holy Spirit from Colossians chapter 3. Just a simple grid, a simple summary of more than anything else. Make sure you do not leave this stuff 
undone. Make sure you're not leaving these things undone. This is a summary of how the Lord Jesus would have us to live in the world that He made for Himself. Okay? And if you're like me, a lot of times those summary statements hurt. And here's what I mean by that. You read things in God's Word and it says, Above all this, above all these, do this. And you're exposed in a moment because so many times you say, Well, these are the main things. These are the main things. These are the main things. And then God says, Nope, actually, these are the main things. And so it confronts us. Okay, This simple summary confronts us. And what we would tend to think Christian maturity is when it's actually defined by, by other things. When actually other things hold supremacy in the Christian life. And I think this simple summary before you write this off. Talking about the meat and potatoes of the Christian life. The nuts and bolts. The very foundation. And before you write that off. And well, you know, I know some people in this room need that stuff. But I don't need that stuff. Before you do that, I want to just bring us all together around this text. And we need these reminders. We need constant reminding of the foundational things of Christ, His gospel, and the Christian life. And the Christian life is really similar to other things that that we do. As we press into the complexities of different things, we all have a tendency to leave behind The foundational things, the basics. And that holds true if you're a student and you're learning uh, a discipline and you press into the complexities of some realm of academia that you are tempted to forget the stuff that all that stuff is built on. It's true if you're an athlete, as you press into the complexities of this thing about this sport, this thing about this sport, that you leave behind the most foundational things of all. It's true in a job. It holds sway in a lot of different areas in your life. And I think it's true of the Christian life. That you're confronted with imperative, imperative, imperative. Do this, do this, do this. And you're prone to forget the very basic things that we are commanded to accomplish in this world of how we're commanded to live in this world. And so what this passage does is it's serving us this morning Saying, no, 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 come back to the basics. Don't leave these things undone. Don't forget to give attention to these things. So this is a foundational little short summary, a basic summary of the Christian life. We're going to hold it. We're going to walk through this passage under three headings this morning. The first is going to be the supremacy of love in the Christian life. Second will be the reign of peace. In the Christian life. And the third will be the practice of gratitude. In the Christian life. And we'll hit the first one. Right off the bat. Verse 14. We are reminded. About the great importance of love. In the Christian life. Let's read it again together. And above all these. Put on love. Which binds everything together. In perfect Harmony. So we're still in the middle of this clothing metaphor that the Apostle Paul has laid over Colossians chapter 3. We've learned what's inappropriate for us to wear. Don't wear that stuff like anger and sexual immorality and greed. Take that stuff off. That's not an appropriate thing 
for you to wear. You've been raised from the dead. You have the life of Christ pulsing through your soul. Wear this stuff. Coming down that list. And he tells us more than anything else. To put on love. To put on love. And then we are told. With these just simple words. That love is given a place of supremacy. Above all the other virtues that we have seen in Colossians chapter 3. It's given an exalted position above the others. And I want you to see that. This is actually not unique. There are other places in scripture that do the very same thing with love. They crown it as king of the Christian virtues. Okay. And so I want to spend a minute, I want to walk through that together because I want us all to be of the same mind of, yes, the Holy Spirit says this is really, really important. Love. Putting it on like a garment. So let's run through a few of these verses together. I want you to flip and read these as you can. Most of these are on your sheet this morning. 1 Peter chapter 4 verse 8 We have almost the exact same phrase. Listen to it closely. Above all, keep loving one another since love covers a multitude of sins. So no need in, you know, hammering this, but same thing. Above all, love. And then look what it says. It gives us this little snapshot. Grace Community Church, if you get this one right, This has a way of covering over all your other blemishes. Do you see that? Love. doesn't say that about other things. It says love covers a multitude of sins. And so if we're thinking bullseye of what we're aiming for, what we want to go after as far as putting on the character of Jesus Christ, you can get other things wrong, but you can't get this wrong. Can't get love wrong. Galatians chapter 5, many of you know this. We're introduced to what's called the fruits, the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians chapter 5. It's actually not the fruits of the Spirit. It's in the singular. It's the fruit of the Spirit. Because you're not supposed to take the things in these lists. And even in Colossians 3, in isolation of I'll take a little bit of that, take a little bit of that. Oh, don't need to work on that. Don't need to worry about that. This is putting on Christ's likeness. Okay? And in that list, in Galatians chapter 5, verse 22, you have this phrase, and the fruit of the Spirit, which is love. It crowns the head of the list of the fruits of the Spirit. It holds supremacy. And just in those little phrases, we are instructed that this is the main thing the Holy Spirit is seeking to produce in your life. He wants to produce love more than anything else. More than anything else. 1 Corinthians 13. Turn there if you have your Bibles. 1 Corinthians 13. This is kind of extended treatment in in 1 Corinthians 13. So I'm just going to mention a few things here. We're, We're introduced right off the bat to a hypothetical. And I want you to think about this. I want you to think about possessing. Every ounce of spiritual power in creation. We think about spiritual gifts and spiritual power like miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit. 
1 Corinthians 13 reminds us that if that were true of you, and you had the very limits of what was available to you, things like miracle working and all faith and all prophecy and knowing all mysteries, 1 Corinthians 13 tells us if you miss what we're talking about today, if you have all of these things and you miss love, listen close. It doesn't say you're a five on a ten. It says you're a zero. You have nothing if you miss love. Even if you have all spiritual power and all spiritual gifts, you have nothing if you miss love. It goes on in this hypothetical that let's just pretend for a moment that you had all generosity. Okay? And you gave everything you had. That you gave it. That you made yourself... That you made yourself a pauper and you gave everything you have to the poor. Every conceivable possession that you have, that you gave it to others who are in need. The Bible says you can do that. And we, and we might commend people for that in this world. But the Bible says if you miss what we're talking about today. And even if you empty your bank account and empty your pockets and there's nothing left and you don't have love, you have nothing. You have nothing. You have nothing. Last little hypothetical it gives us is sometimes we think about zeal being the crowning virtue of the Christian life and zeal for Christ. I'm going to take the gospel to the nations. And there are places in God's word that command us to burn in spirit, to be fervent in spirit. But what does 1 Corinthians 13 tell us? Is that you can burn with zeal for Jesus Christ to the point that you die at the martyr's shame. That you give your body to be burned and you go out of this world with zeal for Christ. And if you were to have that... And not have the things that we're talking about today. Not have love. You're not a five on a scale of ten. You have nothing. You missed it all. This is the supremacy of love. This is how important it is in the Christian life. Later in 1 Corinthians 13. He just spells this out with tremendous clarity. Look at verse 13. He says this. So faith, hope, and love abide. And then he says this. But the greatest of these is love. It's true. He's crowning it as king. He's given it the place of supremacy. The exalted place above the other characteristics that we are to put on. And then think about this. Think if you can lay hold of this. There are several places in the New Testament where love is said to be the fulfilling of the law. And so you think about that. That's a mind-blowing thing. Like, if I, if I think about the law, I'm thinking about hundreds and hundreds of commandments. Imperatives flying, flying around everywhere like a fireworks show. Do this, don't do this, do this, don't do this. And there are verses that say you can actually get this right and you fulfill the whole thing. And that's telling us something else about the exalted nature of love. It has a way of setting everything else right in the Christian life. Listen to Romans 13 verse 10. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. 
Galatians chapter 5 verse 14. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And so ask yourself these questions as we're reading through these things. Do I treat love like God's word treats love? Do I crown it with this much authority in my life? Do I give the attention that the scriptures give to this characteristic? And I want to pull one more thing out about the supremacy of love. Is in our passage, we're told above all. So we're told above all these things in our passage. And then we're told this about love. Not only is it exalted and and supreme above the other virtues, the passage says that love is the thing that actually binds everything else together in perfect harmony. And literally the phrase reads, love is the bond of maturity. Okay, so I want you to think about that. If the Christian character, if your Christian character is held together by glue then the Bible says that the glue would be love. It's the thing that holds all the other things together. And it's the thing that if you don't have, everything else falls apart. And so not only is it supreme, it has a unifying effect. And I'm just encouraging you with this. Like there are some things that you can dial down and zone in on that if you get this right, you get it all right. It has a way of setting everything else in right proportions. In the Christian life. And so why do we have language like this in the scriptures? It's meant to grab our attention. Okay. It's meant that we would know that we would know something about love. But more than that, that we would respond and that we would order our lives rightly around these truths. And so the passage commands us put on love, put it on like a garment, put it on, wear it. The love that's in view here in Colossians chapter 3, it's a very specific love. Okay, We are commanded to love God in Scripture. But in the context of what's happening in, in Colossians 3, this is actually about love toward neighbor. And even more specific than that, love towards Christians. And even more specific than that, this is about loving other members of your local church. The ones who you're doing life with, forbearing. that The ones who live around you and you are committed to sharing and living for Christ together. And so what's in view here is love towards the members of your local church. I'll take a side for just a moment. If you are here today and you are a disciple of Jesus, you need to be hooked into a local church. It doesn't need to be fuzzy. It needs to be clear. These are my people. These are who I'm locking arms with to live the Christian life. These are my leaders who are holding me accountable and encouraging me. This is my my family for this season of my life. I'm submitting myself to them and I'm giving everything I have to encourage them in the Lord. You need to be hooked in to a local church. So Colossians is telling us we need to put on love specifically. To the members of our local church. So I want that to get get clear. This is what we're talking about this morning. Love for the other members around you at Grace Community Church. We're going to come back to that in just a moment. Once you understand how important this is. The supremacy of love. I want everybody to be reminded this morning about the nature of love. 
Okay? The nature of it. Because this is one of the things that we can grow dull to. Okay? The Word of God calls us to a type of love that is absolutely devastating. It is devastating. I don't want you to hear it like background noise. We're going to read a verse in a few moments. And I want you to think about reading this like you're reading it for the first time. Of Are you kidding me? Love like this? Love like this? It's an absolutely devastating standard. We are not called to like each other sometimes. To be nice to each other. Not just to, you know what, I'm not doing wrong to anybody. Okay? We're not called to periodically um, uh, enjoy one another. Listen to the standard. Turn to 1 John chapter 3, verse 16. Listen to the standard. Listen to how he frames it up here. It says this, By this we know, love, that He laid down His life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. Pause right there. Not be nice to folks. Not enjoy them. Lay down your life. Where is that playing out in your your life? In your daily walk with Christ? So think about this. He gives us the standard. And the standard is the sinless God-man bleeding out on His cross. Giving it all. When we say that Christ bled, we don't mean that He was scratched and dropped a few drops of blood. We mean He bled out and there was no more human life left in Him. He died on the cross. And the Apostle John is saying, look at that. Remember that. And then we know from God's Word that when we say that Jesus died for us, that He laid down His life for us. 1 Corinthians 15 reminds us that He did that for our sins. That Christ gave Himself up for us for our sins. And that reminds us that when Jesus died for us, when He gave it all for us, when He laid down His life for us, we weren't pretty. We weren't cuddly, adorable, cute. We were none of those things. The Bible tells us that we were rebellious. That we were His rebellious enemies. And that we deserve nothing of the death of Christ in our place. And John says, look at that. You remember that? You remember the sinless God-man bleeding out on His cross for His enemies? And he says, that's the standard. And after, after we have that fixed in our mind, he turns to us and he says, so also, we... The Christ followers, we're supposed to be laying down our lives for the brothers. It's a devastating standard that we're called to. We're not called to just happy, clappy uh, love for one another. We're called to self-sacrifice. That we give of ourselves a tremendous sacrifice to love the body of Christ. To love The members of our local church. And I want to make sure this is clear in your mind. Anytime we talk about loving people rightly. Whether it's neighbor. You know, family. uh, uh, Members of the church. Anytime we're talking about loving people rightly. Loving God is assumed in the background. 
And I want to make sure that's really clear in your mind. That anytime we talk about loving people rightly, love for God is always assumed. It's a presupposition. And here's what I mean by that. Unless you are loving other people for God's sake, for His sake. Unless you're loving them more than anything else as His image bearers. You're loving Him for God's sake. And unless you're doing that, you're not loving anybody biblically. Okay? Love for God, uh, love for others presupposes love for God. Think about this verse. 1 John chapter 4, verse 12 says this. If we love one another, God abides in us. Listen close. And His love is perfected in us. So when we love each other rightly, and it's true, and it's genuine, and sincere, the Bible says we're actually loving people with the love of God. Okay? Love comes from Him. It's not us loving people for their own sake mainly, and definitely us not loving people for our sake. It's us loving others For God's sake. And so think about this. Counterfeit love in the church. It springs from a selfish motive. It's nice to others. Favorable to others. Uh, The world would call it love to others. But it has a selfish pursuit in mind. It, it It is a kindness to others. That is seeking and pursuing selfish gain. And the end of self righteousness. But true love is the exact opposite of that. It is love that springs first and foremost from God. It is loving others for God's sake. 1 John 4 verse 7 says love is from God. Love is from God. And so if you're here today and you are not a Christian, you don't even know what love is. And we, that's, that's what 1 John 3.16 just told us. By this we know love that he laid down his life for us. You can't do the horizontal stuff in the Christian life until the vertical stuff is right before God. You can't. It's impossible. You don't know the standard. You don't have the Christ within. It's impossible to live the Christian life until you are in Christ. It's impossible. And so we love others for God's sake. And I think that's that's important. Because it helps us discern those counterfeit loves that sometimes grab a hold of us. And we find ourselves in the midst of thoughts about other people and deeds toward others. And they're being polluted by some kind of selfish interest or some kind of selfish gain. That stuff has no place in the Christian life. We put on self-sacrificial love. Self-sacrificial love. So I want us to respond to this verse before we move forward this morning. Verse 17, God is demanding that we respond, that we put on love. And the first thing, how, the first way in how we respond to this rightly is we agree with it. Do you understand that? That we just heard some truth from God's word. And the first way we respond this morning is we agree with that. In other words, if you find yourself here today and you don't give this much attention in your, in your Christian life to love For the brethren, love for the church, then this pronounce yourself wrong and bow down and pronounce God's word right and just agree with it. 
Lord, this is important. This is right. Look how much attention you give to these things. And you just confess that you're off in those ways. And you just agree with the truth of the verse. That love for the church, it really is this important. And I want to plead with you just for a moment. That if you ignore this as a Christ follower, you forfeit the supremacy and the reign of Jesus Christ in your life. You forfeit that. You can't ignore love and enjoy the reign of Christ in your heart. You can't. If you ignore this, you forfeit Christ-like character in this world. Do you see that? That if you don't heed these warnings, heed these commandments, and you just set them off to the side, and you don't give as much attention to them as the Word of God calls you to, then you forfeit becoming like Jesus in this world. And let's just take that all the way to, to the extreme. That this mark in the, in the book of 1 John, this mark is an, it's, it's a mark of authentic Christian conversion. And so there is a way that you can slide this one to the side and give no attention to it and have no reality of love for the brethren in your life. And it means that you're not a Christian. It means that you're not a Christian. First John tells us that we know that we have passed from death to life. Listen close. Because we love the brothers. Because we love the people of God. And please don't misunderstand that. That's not salvation by love. That is just dialing in the truths that we already know. That this is the mark that you have been converted by God the Holy Spirit. And so hear this well. Let's gather around this commandment as Grace Community Church. And let's hear this well. If we ignore this, we miss everything. Okay? If we give attention to this, it has a way of setting everything else right in the individual life and in the life of the local church. So I want to encourage us to walk out of here today. And when you're thinking about simplifying your life in Christ, make this your bullseye that you aim for every single day. Put on love for the body of Christ. This is what we're aiming for day in and day out. I think this is worth considering as, as members of this local church, as your kindness, as your thoughts, as your affections toward other members of this local church. Are they motivated by true love for God? Or are they motivated by some kind of selfish ambition that's in your own heart? I think we all need to examine that. Listen to this commandment in, in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 22. He says, love one another, listen close, earnestly from a, pure, uh, from a pure heart. Love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Now God obviously knows something about us that we need to hear stuff like that. Because we are prone to love one another insincerely and not earnestly. And from a twisted double heart instead of from a pure heart. And so let's examine that. We want that stuff out of our life. And we want real, genuine love for the church. And before we leave this, I want to push into one more thing. That we, as members of Grace Community Church, that we would press into some zeal in our love for one another. 
In other words, that we would push the very boundaries in our life of growth in this area. More than anything else, I want to love the body. I want to love the brethren. I want to love the people of God. And so we have a church about, give or take, 150 members at Grace Community Church. Locked arms together and they say, you're my brother in Christ. You're my sister in Christ. This is my family. And what we want to say from this text is every single member of Grace Community Church is to be loved with the love of Christ. With the love of Christ. Every single member. Notice what we're not saying. Not put on love to your besties. Right? And to your BFFs. Put on love to your BFFs. This is a supernatural thing. This is going to cost you something. This is a sacrificial thing in your life. And so we're talking about love for the whole church. For the body of Christ. And if you remember back in this letter in Colossians chapter 1. And I know it was a long time ago. The Apostle Paul heard about a work of the Holy Spirit. That was happening in this Colossian church. And you know the first thing he heard about them? He said, I heard about what the Holy Spirit did in your midst. He's messing things up around you. And in you. And you know what he says? I heard about your faith in Christ Jesus. And listen close. And your love for, catch this, all the saints. All the saints. Not just those like you. Not just those with the same background as you. Same hometown as you. Same life stage as you. Same ethnicity as you. Same everything as you. Love, listen to this, for all the saints. Let's press into some zeal for that. That I want more of that in my life. Every single member. Love for all the saints. And if we step into that as a local church, you know what that's going to cost us? It's going to cost us sacrifice. That's, that stuff is going to come at tremendous cost to us. There's no way to step into love for the brethren easily. And we know that because we're called to lay down our lives for one another. And so if you want to walk with Jesus in this world, you better prepare to be uncomfortable in some ways. And, some, and, so, and, and, to, and to rid yourself of some worldly comforts. Because this is going to cost us. We're going to have to sacrifice. But you know the good news? It far outweighs the cost. You know what the reward is? Is that Grace Community Church, we actually become, when we put on love at, grace cost, at great cost to ourselves, we actually become like the Lord Jesus Christ. Anybody want some of that in your life? I want to be like Him. The one who was righteous. The one who never sinned. The one who put to... Put to death every temptation for sin. I want to be like Him. And that's the good news for us. That we step into this and we become a a church that is marked by the likeness of Jesus Christ. I'll remind you that this above everything else is our mark of authenticity in Jackson, Mississippi. Listen to John chapter 13 verse 35. Jesus says this speaking of love. He says, by by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. He could have said by your doctrine. He could have said by your programs, by your zeal. He could have said a hundred other things. But he said this, the world's going to peek in and they're not going to understand that stuff. And they're going to know that you belong to the Lord Jesus Christ when they see your love 
for one another. The rejoicing with those who rejoice. And the weeping with those who weep. That their lives are actually intertwined with each other. And they're walking together through this world. So, many complexities in the Christian life. Lots of different things to focus on. Things to give attention to. But more than anything else, aim here. Put on love. Don't leave this undone. Don't leave love behind. Second heading, Paul reminds us of the reign of peace in verse 15. He says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called in one body. So here we have a command and a ground. And the command is this, let peace rule. And then the ground Let peace rule on the grounds that you are called into this peace in one body. And so what I want you to see there is there's actually two pieces, two types of peace in that verse. There's an objective and a subjective peace in one verse. One is a state and the other is an experience. And I want us to unpack this together quickly. We'll start with the objective peace. Okay. This is the peace that we were called into together the moment we first believed the gospel. And I just want to stop right here and say the world that we live in is in desperate need of that kind of peace. The objective peace of Jesus Christ. And you say, why? Why? Because the Bible teaches us that every person that's born into this world is born into the world at war with God. At war with God. We don't typically think about things like that. And I'll give you an example of that. There been a lot of babies born around Grace Community Church in the past couple of months. And we love that. We love kids. Okay, Don't mis- misunderstand anything. I'm making a point, but don't misunderstand me. Okay, And we live in a world that does not get. Every person that enters into the world is at war with God. At war with God. So I want you to think about all the ways that we talk about children. Okay? Think about it. Cute. True. Snuggly. True. Love them so much. True. And you think about how we dress them up. You know, we celebrate them. Rightly so. We, we celebrate our kids. And you got these little babies, you know, and they're, they're uh, you know, uh, riding around in their strollers and, and their little onesies. And they say things like what? Daddy's stud muffin or, or uh, mama's heartbreaker, you know. Uh, and, they, and they say cute things. We're celebrating our children. But, you know, a pretty, a pretty good bit of that is us saying things that we, 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 we could stand some reminders that we actually shouldn't think about our children like that. And some, some of what we say about those little kids are things like, uh, you know, daddy's sweetheart. I love my little girl. She's a sweetheart. Okay, I'm not. I'm not picking on these things. Or, or mama's angel. Okay, or, or you just think about the ways that we talk about little bitty babies. We're not talking about them like God's word talks about every person that's born into this world. And I'll never forget this. A friend of mine in this church. You know, when my little girl was born several years ago, uh, I think it was a couple of weeks before she was born. He sends me a picture. Of what was called on Etsy, somebody was selling depravity onesies. Okay, 
And, uh, and I got a good kick out of this. So I pulled up the picture. I was like, what in the world, you know? Pulled up the picture and it's this little bitty, bitty, bitty onesie. And right on the front. Doesn't say, you know, stud muffin, angel, any of that stuff. It says totally depraved right across the front. This little bitty baby. Now, I am not suggesting that you buy that and that you dress your child like that in public in Jackson, Mississippi. I think there are better ways to have a testimony of Jesus Christ. But I want you to think about this. Okay? I want you to think about this. Do you have a grid? Do you have a grid to think about the sweetest people that you know that are not Christians? And, 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 and to have verses of scripture that apply to them. They are sweet. I love them. Ephesians 2, they're dead in their trespasses and sins. Or listen to this verse in Romans chapter 8 verse 7. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. For it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. What if you thought about the world like that? What if you thought about little children that we love them, we want to celebrate them, but there is a hostility in them that they hate God. They hate God. There's a part of them, you can thank their great-grandfather, Adam, for that, that passed that down to all of his offspring, that there's a part of them, they hate God. It's not just... Oh, they're going to mess up. They're going to trip over things. They actually have a hostility towards the Creator. Do you understand that? Unregenerate, lost humanity has a hostility towards the Creator. And so they're at war with God. The lines are drawn up in the sand. They will not submit to His authority. Indeed, they cannot. And what do you, how do you think God feels about that? His glory He will share with no one. Every person in all of creation was created for Him. God will conquer all of His enemies. And He'll do it in two ways. He will conquer everyone who is, who is drawn up in hostility against Him. And one way He'll do it is at the final judgment... Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And they will buckle at the knees and they will glorify the God that made them. He will conquer His enemies. But praise to the living God. The other way that God conquers His enemies is through the gospel of peace. And that comes to us through the Lord Jesus Christ. The gospel of peace prophesied from the very beginning. Prophesied, laced all throughout the Old Testament. I'll give you some examples of this. Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah, he announces that a child is coming into the world. The Messiah to come. And he's going to be born. And one of the names that Isaiah tells us that this child is going to be called by is the Prince of Peace. Just a few verses later in Isaiah chapter 9, Isaiah says about that child that's going to be born, the Prince of Peace, he says this, of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. There will be no end that there's one coming and he's going to reign in peace and it's never going to stop and it's never going to stop expanding. There's a ruler coming. He's going to establish peace. The prophet Zechariah few books later in the Old Testament, Zechariah prophesies that a Messiah is coming. Listen, he's going to speak peace to the nations and his rule shall be from sea to sea. 
And so there's one coming, there's one coming, and he's going, he's going to do something about this warfare towards God. And just prior to the birth of Christ, there's another Zechariah early in the Gospels. This Zechariah prophesied that the Messiah would give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death. And listen, to guide our feet into the way of peace. That's Luke chapter 1, verse 79. And then you know what happens? The Lord Jesus is born in the city of Bethlehem in this little manger. And, and, and all of a sudden at His birth, the angels of heaven, they start exploding with praise to God. And you know what they say? The Savior comes into the world and they say, Glory to God in the highest. And then they say this, And peace on earth among those whom, with, with whom He is pleased. And so this baby, baby in this Bethlehem manger is this long-awaited one that's going to bring peace on earth with a very specific group of people. A group of people with whom the Lord is pleased. And listen, church, we, we have been called into the peace of God, but we have to remember, unless this Prince of Peace, this promised one, came into this world, died for our sins, and died in our place, we're still at war with God and we have no gospel. We're going to be crushed by the judgment to come apart from Jesus. And so our passage tells us that we, Christians, we have been called into, summoned into this peace in one body. This is an objective state for every person who believes the gospel. Listen to Romans 5 verse 1. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. True. Every Christian across this room, that's true for you. You say, my soul feels in turmoil. If you believe the gospel, you have peace with God. This is available to you. This is true for you on your good days and on your bad days. In every season of life. There's no more hostility. No more condemnation. No more warfare. Because of what Christ has done. We have peace with the one who has all authority in heaven and on earth. This peace is objective. It's unchanging, it's eternal, it's eternal, and it's unbreakable. It will never go away. You will never, objectively, you will never have more peace with God than you have right now in the Lord Jesus Christ. And I want to ask you this. Are you thankful for that today? Are you thankful that there was a hostility and a war that was happening in your life that the Son of God steps in and establishes peace between the God who is going to crush you? Are you thankful for that today? Are you thankful for the peace of God that comes to us through the gospel of Christ? Objective reality. Objective reality. And look what he commands us to do. So we have in view this peace that we have been called into. And then he tells us on the basis of being called into this objective peace. Look what he says in verse 15. Let the peace of Christ rule. Let it rule in your hearts. And so we switch from this objective state, this objective position, to this day-by-day -day experience of walking with the Lord Jesus in this world. That we would let the peace of Christ rule in our hearts. And I want to encourage you today. 
Every Christian all across this room, the peace of Christ, this is a reality that you can live in every single day. This is a supernatural gift that is available to you in every season of life and in the midst of every circumstance. You can let, you can obey this in Christ. You can let the peace of Jesus reign in your heart. You can let it rule over you. This is supernatural. Listen to this promise in John 14 verse 27. Jesus says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Do you understand the difference in, in that and us looking at each other and saying, you know, calm down, calm down. What are you so worked up about? Jesus said, Jesus walked on this, in this world with perfect peace, with perfect peace. He, had, he has the peace of Christ. He's never in turmoil. He's never not trusting in God. And Jesus turns to us and says, my peace I give to you. Do you understand that you have access to that? It's not just calm down. Let the peace of Christ reign in your life. Way different. Way different. This is a moment by moment experience that we enter into by trusting His word. By trusting the word of Christ. Listen to Isaiah 26 verse 3. He says, you keep Him in perfect peace. Whose mind is stayed on you. Because He trusts in you. Do you know that that's still available for you? This is not just something for you to know about. This is something for you to walk in. And so I want to come back to that word experience. Letting the peace of Christ rule in your heart. That's an experience. Okay? That's not just something that you know a few things about. That's something that you actually enter into and experience in this world. Listen to Philippians chapter 4 verse 7. And the peace of God, listen close, which surpasses all understanding. This is an experience. Okay? This is why he says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Doesn't say let you know something in your head. Let this rule in your hearts, in your life. Now, I want to say this. I think this is a good um, warning. When we talk about the peace of Christ ruling in our life, this is not going through life with a careless uh, attitude, a, a I don't give a rip attitude about anything. That's, that has nothing to do with the peace of Christ. Okay, The peace of Christ is walking through the troubles of this life, the troubles of this world, appropriating the gospel, appropriating the promises of Christ. And I'll give you a really good example of that in Scripture. Of in, in Scripture, we have two men who slept through a megastorm in a boat. One is the Lord Jesus Christ and one is the prophet Jonah. One slept in the perfect peace of God, trusting in the sovereignty of God, trusting in the Father who rules over all things, and the other one could just give a rip about anything. Okay? So when we're talking about the peace of God, we're not talking about this, I don't give a rip attitude about anything, and I'm never flustered because I don't give a rip. That's not letting the peace of Christ rule in your life. This is a conscious experience that we enter into, not a careless attitude. And we experience this peace of Christ in the deepest part of who we are. It says, let it reign in your heart. Let it reign in your 
heart. Let it rule in your heart. That word rule, we've already ran into it one time in Colossians. Colossians chapter 2, verse 18. The word was, is actually used in history to describe the rules official who judged the ancient Olympic Games. And what Paul was telling us earlier in, in Colossians 2 is that there were some of the false teachers in, in these churches that were self-appointed spiritual umpires. And he said, don't let them disqualify you. And he turns and he uses the same word to us today. That what needs to rule and reign in your heart and in your life is not these other people or these other things. The peace of Christ needs to be the umpire in the deepest part of who you are. And so here's what the commandment means this morning. Basic fundamental things of walking with God is that the peace of Christ is to rule through every circumstance in the human heart. That is available to you in Jesus. Now, why do we need that? Why do we need commandments like this? Well, back up for just a moment. Okay. Jesus promised us that in the world that we live in, that we would have a lot of money. No. He says in this world, you will have trouble. And then he tells us to take heart because he overcame the world. And so listen, I know this about you. I know this about myself. You live in a world and you got some trouble in your life. Things are not going to go well for you. There are uncertainties around every corner in your life and there's difficulties. That we're all going to face. We're going to go through troubled waters in an uncertain world. And in this context is where he says, in the midst of all of that, let the peace of Christ rule in your heart. And so what do we have to do? As disciples of Jesus, we have to learn that in the midst of every circumstance and every scenario, we have to learn to let the peace of Jesus reign within us. You think about this. When you have a conflict within in your own heart. Your heart condemns you. There's something internal conflict with yourself. The peace of Christ has to reign over that. You got a conflict with your spouse, your child, another brother or sister in this local church. At the end of the day, the peace of Christ has to reign in that situation. You have a circumstance that you prefer not to have. A sickness or something happened to you in your life that you would prefer not to have happened. At the end of the day, the peace of Christ has to reign over that Situation. This is the commandment. This is the commandment. In every situation that we face, we have to be ruled by a deep consciousness that my soul is at rest in my God. My God has performed a work on my behalf. He has finished a work for me. And I can walk through every single season and every scenario in my life in perfect peace if I trust Him. And so we have to be in the midst of an anxious world. In the midst of an anxious church at times, uh, a world in turmoil within, we have to learn as disciples of Jesus that we don't live like that. We don't live like that. We enter into these scenarios and you ask yourself where you fall in this grid. As you're passing through these troubled waters in life, what reigns in your life? What, what is the dominating influence in the midst of those seasons? What dominates you in your heart? Your difficult circumstances or the peace of Jesus Christ? Are you walking in this? What dominates you in the midst of difficult seasons in your life? We're not called to the anxiety of the world. In fact, our God has called us out 
of the anxieties of the world, the hostilities of the world. And we have been called to peace with God. Peace with God. So I want to encourage you, if you find yourself in the midst of a battle and you constantly find your heart going towards turmoil instead of towards peace, you have to learn how to do this. You have to learn how to let peace reign in your life. You have to learn how to let it sit on the throne and take authority over every other circumstance. And I want to encourage you, this is available to every Christian. And I want to encourage you that the peace of Christ is stronger than any circumstances that you face. And just one more word of encouragement that what we're so tempted to do in the middle of difficult things, when, when, we, when we let our circumstances swallow us instead of walking in the peace of Christ, is you know what we pray like? We pray, Lord Jesus, change my circumstances. And what we need to be praying is, Lord Jesus, meet me in this trial and walk with me through it. Give me your peace. Help me to glorify you in the midst of this difficulty. And if we go to the Lord with this humble heart, with the desire to walk in the peace of Jesus in every season, God is faithful. God is faithful that the peace of Christ can reign in such a way that we can't even comprehend it. It's beyond knowledge. It's beyond understanding. It's available to every Christian. And since what produces the peace of Christ is an intimate familiarity with the gospel and what Jesus has done for you and the work that he has finished on your behalf, then it makes perfect sense. And why the next thing he says is, so the, is, and be thankful. And he just drops it on the end of verse 15 like an afterthought. Let the peace of Christ reign in your life and be thankful. And be thankful. This is going to round off our review of fundamentals. A little summary of the Christian life. To be thankful is a response of gratitude to God for His grace in your life. And mainly, primarily, His saving grace in your life. The powerful work that the Lord has done for you in Jesus. And so look how closely these things are related. The peace of Christ, living in the peace of Christ, and walking in thankfulness and gratitude to God. Give you two things to think about. A life of gratitude with God requires you to see two things at the same time. And one is how glorious and how awesome God's salvation to you is in Jesus. Not bored with it, but enthralled by it. Absolutely devastated by the glory that Christ has accomplished in your life. And at the same time, thankfulness demands that you see simultaneously that you deserve none of it. That God gave you the best of gifts in Jesus. And you deserve only wrath and nothing of Christ. And when we see those things rightly at the same time, guess what's birth? Thankfulness to God. Thankfulness to God for His grace in our life. We say with the Apostle Paul, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 15, thanks be to God for His inexpressible gift. That's a heart that is blown away by the grace and the love of God in Jesus Christ. But the opposite of that is also true. When we fail to see either one of those, the glorious gift of the gospel or our undeserving of those gifts, then Psalm 78 
verse 42 becomes true of us. I read this this morning. I'll read it to you. It says, They did not remember His power or the day when He redeemed them from the foe. Now I want you to think about how wicked that would be in our life. They did not remember His power or the day that He redeemed them from the foe. This is talking about the, the, uh, the wilderness generation that was redeemed from bondage out of Egypt. And I want you to think about what that generation saw. They went into their house one night after God had been unleashing plagues all throughout the land. And God gave them a glorious, uh, a glorious gift of this Passover lamb. And God promised that every house that partakes of this Passover lamb is going to be passed over by the angel of death. And that generation sat in their houses and they consumed that lamb and they heard the screams of Egypt as the firstborn throughout all the land of Egypt died one after the other after the other. And there was not a house where there was not someone dead. But God saved His people. And think about it. So, there, so, so God redeems His people with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm and they come out of Egypt. God splits the sea in half and they walk through it on dry ground and they turn around and their enemies are coming at them. And what does God do? In a moment of time, God dre- sweeps away their enemies with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm and they watch their enemies drown right in front of their face. And they sang to the Lord, horse and rider He has thrown into the sea. There is none like Him among the gods, majestic in holiness. And they saw God redeem them from the foe. And think of how wicked it is. Think of how uh, 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 disoriented we get with just a few chapters later in Holy Scripture. These same people are complaining and, and, and grumbling against the God who redeemed them. And they want to go back to slavery. They forgot the day that God redeemed them from the foe. How much worse when we forget the gospel. The day that the Son of God hung as a substitute. The only mediator between God and man. And God caused all of His holy wrath to fall on His Son. The earth went dark. The Son of God trembled at the thought of drinking that wrath. And He did it. He drank it down, Jay prayed this earlier, to the dregs. To the point where there's nothing left for the Lord Jesus to do. And He bows His head and He gives up His spirit. But before He does that, He screams out to us that it is finished. It is finished. God redeemed us from the foe. And thanksgiving and a life of gratitude, it demands... That that moment and that glorious grace is at the front of our minds in every season of life. Be thankful. Brothers and sisters, be thankful for the mighty work that God has done for you in Jesus. No Christian ever graduates past these fundamentals. Amen? There's nobody that doesn't need reminders about loving others and letting the peace of that the gospel gives you reign in your life and being thankful to God for your conversion. We all need these reminders every single day. And where these things are present in our life, that means that the Lord Jesus is reigning in our midst. Love, peace, thankfulness. 
And so these are really, really solid vital signs this morning. If we were to, in a sense, get into the presence of God and say, ah, and be diagnosed of how our soul is before the Lord. And if he were to put the, the finger on the vital signs, these are really good vital signs to, to how your walk with Jesus Christ is going. I want you to think about how important do you consider these things? Do you crown other things as more important than these things? And if you're anything like me, the simplicity of the things that we covered today, it's just tremendously helpful. Tremendously helpful. When I read things like this in Scripture, it's like it resets my mind. My mind just always goes towards complexity, making things complex, complex. And then all of a sudden I'll read something like this and it's just, oh, it's a simple walk with the Lord Jesus. A simple devotion to the Lord Jesus. And so I want us to go after these things together. And we need to ask God that he would help us. So let's pray together as we close. Father, we bless your name today. We bless your name today, Lord. We thank you for the life that we now live is a life of faith in Christ. And we want to live it in such a way that glorifies you and that pleases you, Lord. And so we ask God that you would visit the preaching of your word and that you would make it effective in your local church today. Thank you, Lord, for speaking to us, God. Thank you, Lord, for your truth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.